You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Thanks, guys, so much. We're continuing on with our Advent Christmas series, which is taken from the book of Ruth, which has uh, four chapters, and we're looking at the subject of redemption. And I have in my hands here something unusual to kick us off here, but it's um, it's it's a real estate contract. Uh, when we moved from Nashville uh, up to uh, Toronto four years ago, we moved from our house into an apartment down on the lakeshore, and uh, hadn't done this for a while. But uh, they handed this, us this stack of papers. Uh, just so that we could move into an apartment. Can you imagine that? All we wanted to do was move into an apartment, and, and what they hand you is the stack of papers. How many of you have ever had to sign a stack of papers in order to either buy a house or move into one? Yeah, it's called the Ontario Real Estate Association Agreement to Lease Residential Toronto Real Estate Board, and then it goes on, and at the bottom of each page of these, there's circles, and you're supposed to initial every single page, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. Now, I understand that we need to have everything in order, and the tenant agrees to pay the rent when due, to pay other charges, but not limiting to interest, telephone, air conditioning, electricity, and cable television. The tenant shall open the said utility accounts in the tenant's name to provide proof to the landlord on or before the date of possession that the services have been transferred to the tenant's name to keep all utility services active at times. It's just exhausting uh, to go on and on. But I understand that we need to have everything decent and in order. And you say, why are we starting a sermon uh, talking about a real estate contract? Well, because in our story today, there's going to be a real estate contract. We're looking at the story of Ruth and the reason why we can go to the Old Testament to talk about Christmas is because we don't see God's word, the Bible, as a whole bunch of individual stories with moral lessons. It's not like that. The story of the Bible is actually one grand story that is illustrated through many different genres of the Bible. This particular story of Ruth that we're, we've been looking at is actually a thousand years before the birth of Christ. Some of the Bible is written uh, just after the time of Christ, and so it's over a long period of time. And there's many different genres involved in the Bible. I mean, there's historical literature, there's law, there's wisdom, there's poetry, there's prophecy, there's apocalyptic, there's parable, there's epistle, which are the letters to the churches. And there's even romance as uh, one of the literary forms that the Bible is given to us in. And actually, the book of Ruth is one of those. It's really a very short romance novel, only just four short chapters. It is true, but it also illustrates a story through a particular type of literature. And so it's really important for us that we understand the Bible. The Bible has a story for, for us through its all of its pages. Uh, after Jesus rose from the dead and they didn't really recognize him, his own disciples didn't recognize him, and he was on something called the road to Emmaus, which was just outside of Jerusalem. And when he was on the road to Emmaus, 
they were amazed. Their hearts were burning as this man was opening up the scriptures to them. And then they realized this is Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And this is what uh, it's recorded in Luke 24, 26 and 27. It says, Jesus said, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so Jesus took them through the Bible, and he showed that he was the true and better Adam, or the second Adam. It showed that he was the true and better David, who defeated the giants, that he was the true and better temple. And he went on and on, and as he opened up the scripture to them, he saw that it didn't matter what part of the Bible we go to, there's something for each and every one of us on every page. And it's the story of redemption, of God's rescue mission uh, for, for all of us. So when we look at the story of Ruth, we see this grand narrative of the Bible being played out in its pages. In the first chapter, we see this family who had left Israel because of famine, and they went down to Moab, which wasn't really a good idea because they were the enemies of Israel. But they went there, and and there was unfortunate things happened. This this lady, Naomi, lost her husband and her two sons, and she was left with just her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and uh, Ruth. And Ruth decided to come back with her to Israel after the famine was over and the other daughter-in-law stayed. And so we see things that the central character of this book of Ruth is actually a non-covenantal person, a person outside of the nation of Israel. And it's interesting of how she was inserted in as the central character, that it's not called the book of Naomi, who was the covenant person, who was the person who really had the law and had the potential of a relationship with God and knowing who God was. It was actually an outsider. And so we see how God uses unlikely people. And then last week we looked at uh, what redemption meant and what it looked like. And it was more than just redeeming your PC plus points or any other card that you may have to redemption, but there's something uh, much deeper uh, in its meaning. And today we're going to look at the redemption itself and then what happened at the end. So we're going to pick up the story. Then there was an opportunity once they went back to Israel, the custom of the land, you know, we talked about the real estate, the custom of the land was that you could redeem, if someone died, if a, if a family member died, if a man died, that a cousin or a near relative could take that land, but he would also have to take uh, the former wife of the de deceased so that he would they would have a chance for his name uh, to be perpetuated. And so we see that there was uh, a redeemer available and Ruth wanted this redeemer named Boaz, but he wasn't the closest relative. There was actually someone closer that could redeem. But Ruth really wanted Boaz to be the person, and that's the romance of it, that she actually went at night at the, at the place of the harvest, at the threshing floor, and she laid down at his feet, uh, which is an unusual custom, but it was her way of saying, look, is there any way that you could be the one to redeem our family? And so Boaz wanted to redeem Ruth, but he saw that he wasn't the next one in line. So the only way that he would be able to redeem the land of the deceased and Ruth is if the other person, the closest person to redemption, actually 
turned down the offer, okay? And so we're going to pick up our story there uh, in the book of Ruth, and it's chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. We won't read the whole chapter, just a segment here. So then he said to the Redeemer, this is Boaz speaking to the nearest relative, Naomi, has, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. He is the man who died, Naomi's husband. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, "The day there's some fine print in the contract. Well, he didn't actually say that, but he was going to point it out. The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. And so the closest relative said that I didn't want to mess up my inheritance. So we'll look at a little bit more what that what that means. And so the the opportunity or first right of refusal, you might say, in legal talk, uh, came to uh, Boaz, and he was the one who uh, wanted to redeem Ruth. Now I want to look at three things today from from our story, and it's really I, I thought of it in terms of connections. I want to connect us to Ruth. I want us to get a connection and look at her life a little bit. Then I wanted to also connect this story to you and I. How does this story relate to me and to you? And then finally, how this story connects to Christ, because it's, it is Christmas and we're looking at Jesus coming into the world uh, as our Redeemer. So let's talk a little bit, first of all, connecting to Ruth. The heroine of the story is Ruth, not Naomi. Even though that she did not have any covenantal connections, she was an extraordinary woman. When I think about it, first of all, she was spiritually minded and understood covenant. While the others were throwing away their relationship with God, she was eager to learn about the God of Israel. While the other people were doing what is right in their own eyes, because this story is set, just around the period of the judges of Israel. They had no king. They were far from God. And the people were basically saying, we don't care about God's law. We don't care about his covenants, about his way of doing things. We're just going to, every person just going to do whatever is right in their own eyes. She was in the space of saying, no, I want to understand who this God is. I want to understand those connections. I want to understand those covenants and who God is. So you see that even though she had no connections, she was a spiritual person and she understood covenant. Her only connection to God was an embittered mother-in-law. You see that she was embittered because Naomi, which is, is a pleasant name, when she came back to Israel, she told her, her friends, her relatives, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter one. So, but Ruth, even though her divine connection, so to speak, to God was an embittered person, wasn't exactly the best person to make the connection. She was a spiritually minded person and said, I would rather get to God by any, any path than stay outside 
altogether. You know, and there's, there's a truth here that she understood. See, in your and I lives, there are certain people that God uses as your covenantal connection. There are defining relationships. There are people that God puts in your path. And they are not perfect. They may be not as bad as Naomi, but they're not going to be perfect. But they are important people. They're called defining relationships. And God gives all of us those types of relationships to help us connect to God. We don't just connect to God mystically. We do through prayer. Yes, we do. But God also uses people. He uses what he calls his body, the body of Christ. And you see through the scriptures that God has a connection, that he talks about love one another, uh, be kind-hearted to one another. So there's, there's also these horizontal relationships that God sees as very important. And, and Ruth saw it. She got it. She understood. She was spiritually minded and she was covenantally minded. That she didn't look and see, oh, this is just an old embittered woman. She said, look, this is the only connection I have to God and I'm going to cling to her because I'm going to cling to God. And that's so important. You see, a lot of people, they look around and they see God's representatives and they look at them and they think, man, that's just an old embittered woman or something. And they're and sometimes the people who represent Christ don't do the greatest job. But nonetheless, God uses people. God uses, he, he puts his treasure in jars of clay, in broken vessels. And we have to discern correctly his church. People want to put down the church. They want to put down God's covenantal people. We never claim here that we're, we're perfect here. We never claim that. But what do we claim? We claim that we're a part of the covenantal people. Together, we are moving towards God. Together, we are trying to represent well our Savior. Together, we are doing that. Our hearts are towards God. And people who see that join themselves to the other covenantal people. And Ruth was one of those. Another thing that I love about Ruth, number two, was that she, she was optimistic. Well, Naomi was just stuck on the past. She was embittered because she lost her husband. She lost her two sons. And you got to understand, Ruth was also a widow. She was a young woman who had lost her husband before they'd even had a chance to have kids. So, I mean, she had had some real hardship in her life as well. It wasn't just Naomi. But Ruth found out through Naomi that there was this gleaning law in Israel that God had commanded the people, that when you go into harvest, make sure you leave some around the edges for the poor people. Don't take every last little bit. That This economic society should have charity built into it. And when Ruth found out, because in her culture, they didn't have that. If you're poor, tough. They didn't have that compassion. And, and we'd do well to have more of that in our societies, where we say, you know what? We're not going to be cutthroat and take it out. We're not going to try to take everybody out. You know, it's just amazing when you do well in business. We killed it. We crushed them. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, why can't we just do well? <laughs> you know, why do we have to kill everybody? I think we've been at maybe too many video games. I don't know what it is. Um, it's like, but in a, in a just society, we want to do well. We do well. But we don't do well at the point of saying that we're, heartless. But Ruth saw this wonderful law called the gleaning law, 
which meant that whatever your business was, you were supposed to leave some for the poor. And she was optimistic, and she said, all right, I'm going to get out there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, and I'm going to glean. And Boash saw that she was a good worker and that she put herself out there. She was, she was upbeat. She was optimistic. And he actually uh, tipped the balance and said, you know, I know that we're, the law says that we're supposed to leave a little bit of the grain. Just for that girl there, just leave a little more. Just leave a little more. And so she, when she came home from her gleaning, she had a great take. Uh, and Naomi was very impressed with it. But I just love the optimistic uh, nature. And then thirdly, she was bold. This woman was bold. She was not some weak, frail thing. I mean, she, she put herself out there. She took chances. She took risks. And when she saw that this Boaz... Uh, you know, was a, was a well-to-do uh, farmer, businessman. She went after him. Yeah. So this is all for all of you who are single, male and female. Um, be bold and uh, get out there. And so I uh, just, just a little story for me, just a side relief, but I was never a person. I mean, I was very shy. We heard the story of my wife who growing up, she was shy, and I was shy too. And, but I remember in the church in Vancouver, we had a campus church just like this at UBC, and it wasn't even as large as this. And I can remember in those days, uh, brass lamps were really popular, and I wanted a brass lamp uh, for my desk uh, to you know study and whatever. And I thought, I'm not really good at picking things out, and I just know I'll probably, I'm not a good shopper. I just, you know, my mom did all that kind of stuff for me. So just I don't know what to do. I'm in Vancouver. I'm away from home, and I thought, who could I get to help me pick this lamp out? And I thought, Sheila McLaughlin. Why don't I ask her? And we'll go downtown to the Hudson Bay, and she, she's got good taste, and she'll help me pick out this the right brass lamp so I don't get a dud. And so I called her up and I said, hey, um, Sheila, would you like to help me pick out a brass lamp? I, I, wanna, I want a brass lamp for my, for my desk. And she said, well, sure, okay. And so we went down on the bus, went down to the Hudson Bay, and then after we, we shopped all the different stores, actually, including the bay, and it took all day, actually, to get this lamp. By the end, we had lunch and then had a coffee, came home with the lamp, and believe it or not, the shade is broken, but we still have that lamp. Um, oh, I was going to bring it today, but <laughs> I was going to bring it today as a sermon illustration, but we, it was boxed up somewhere, and I didn't have time to unpack it. So, But here's the point. Uh, I guess in one way, that was sort of our first date. I didn't know it was a date, but I just wanted to get a lamp. But... <laughs> But you see this extraordinary woman just on, on all fronts, her positivity, her spirituality, her boldness, and God honored it. How about if we connect the story to us, to you and me now? Have you ever thought of your life as a story? I have this quote from this book called, To Be Told, Know Your Story, Shape Your Future. This is what it says. 
What makes my life a glorious bestseller is that my plot reveals not a mere moral or lesson, but the very person and being of God. A merely good life reveals little beyond the fact that goodness exists. But a life that knows its plot, characters, setting, dialogue, and the themes will possess a clear and abiding passion that reveals something unique about the author. A life that is familiar with its story reveals much about the character of God. I don't believe God is so concerned that we build great ministries or companies or families or any other human agency to his glory. His glory is grown, and I have this quote, when we simply live out the calling he has given for us, we give him much greater glory when we are aware of our calling, live intentionally, and live with passion. That's how we co-author our own story. So we can look at the story of Ruth, but to make God's word come alive in our own heart, we have to transfer it from Ruth to ourselves. Do you know about your story? What's going on in your story? What's going on in your life? In your life, there are, there are characters. Some of the people in our story are adversaries. Some of the people in our story are helpers. Some of the circumstances of our story are very difficult. Some aspects of our story entail great opportunity. And when you see any story given in the Bible of any of the characters that are written in the Bible, we see that all of them have all of these features. Opportunities, challenges, a plot as it were. And part of it, there was a wilderness and difficulty, just like our, the story that we're looking at today. But everybody had a wilderness when you look in the Bible. Jesus was in the wilderness. Abraham, the father of Israel and the father of our faith, had some wilderness experiences. Moses and all the people of God were in the wilderness for a long time. Psalm 136 uh, is, a, is a favorite song, psalm of mine, and it it has these. It has a line, and then it has a refrain after every sentence, where it says, "The loving kindness endures forever." And it just has a line, like one of the lines says, "To he, to him who he led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever." Then it has a line, "But his steadfast love endures forever." So it gives a situation, but then it says, "But God is with us." And when we think of the Christmas story, again, another story, another another story with people's lives. And I want to look, switch to the New Testament now, to Matthew 1.18. And Mary and Joseph were these two young people who also were in the midst of a story, God accomplishing something great through them, but at the same time with great difficulty. And this is what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we see, even in this story, you can imagine this young couple. I mean, you, you know, we, we, we revere the mother of Jesus. We revere Mary. Uh, but can you just imagine the pressure she would be under? I mean, here's a young woman coming home and saying, I'm pregnant, but I never had sex. Yeah, right. How are you pregnant then? The Holy Spirit. And I'm going to have God come down into my womb, and that's how he's going to come into the world and redeem the world. Now, in today's day, you know, she would be heavily medicated, this girl, at that point. And the, the prescription would be she's delusional. Uh, she's having, you know, all these things. But nonetheless, we believe that there's a supernatural realm, right? And we believe that there's not just what we see in this physical. We believe that the physical world came out of something greater than the physical world. And so, therefore, miracles do happen. But she had this pressure on her in the midst of it. And so the question, though, that I want to pose to each of every one of us is what are your challenges and how are you trusting God's covenant to get you through? Just reflect for a minute. What's kind of the biggest challenge you have right now? Just if you were to not sleep well and there'd be an, an anxiety in the night, what would that be for you right now? What would it be? And then the second question, how are you trusting the covenant of God to get you through that? What is that? And how are you trusting in God's covenants and God's promises? Now, I haven't always done this well, but there are some things where I believe that God has really helped me enact the means of grace to believe God for his covenantal blessing in my life. And I want to share a, a, a story about that. Uh, we were in our men's group a couple of weeks ago, and my men's group is called MMA, Mixed Martial Arts. Actually, we don't do any fighting. It's uh, tongue-in-cheek, Men's Mentoring and Accountability, MMA. And so we were talking about our values as a church, and one of the values we have is generosity, giving, or even we're thinking about calling it sacrificing, sacrificing. And... We're just going around the room and each sharing sort of their giving stories of where they're at, how, you know, what their challenges were to giving and things. And I shared a bit of my story, and I'm going to share it with you today because it's such a great, it's such a great story of just how big God is and how he has worked uh, in my life. Uh, shortly after Sheila and I finished the Brass Lamp episode, uh, extravaganza shopping within about a year from then we were married uh, so if any of you guys want to know the key is buy a brass lamp um, we were married and I got a part-time job uh, in the apartment complex we uh, worked at, we were living in in uh, Vancouver at the time 
uh, they needed some help. It was it was a small a small. I think there was like less than 20 units, and uh, the person who was managing it couldn't manage it anymore, and they asked me to manage it, and so I managed it, and so it was a second job for me. And I thought, you know what, we're going to do? We're going to save that money for a down payment to buy our first home, and so I. Tied, you know, did our 10%, gave it in the offering. I opened a second uh, savings account, and we began to put the money into it. And I started diligently saving. And then we uh, moved to Calgary, and uh, we continued to tithe. We, we, I quit my job as an optician, and we started U Church, the church that's still there at the University of Calgary. And uh, there was a time where, you know, our church was struggling. It wasn't very big, and it needed money. And we'd always given our 10%. We'd always given our tithe. We'd tried to support missionaries and be, you know, helpful to when other ever other needs came up. But this was different. So we were believing in the covenant. But when we say that we tithe, it's like a sign that everything belongs to God. And the Lord was really challenging my heart to say, give that down payment that you've been saving up now for like five years. Give it all. I'm like, Lord. I've been faithful. I've been tithing. You know, how are we ever going to get a house? We had, we now have two kids. We're going to have another one soon. How are we ever going to have a house if you tell me to do crazy things like this? But you know what? By God's grace, I was able to obey, and we did it, and we gave it away. And the reason I say that is because it wasn't overnight but shortly, not too long later, God, God made a way for our hold down payment to come in, like, very quickly. And we were able to get a house in Calgary. And then when we moved down to Nashville, by God's grace, we were able to get another house. And then we were having a, a dinner one night at some event, and we sat beside a Christian builder. And we started talking about our desire, you know, to, for the first time, actually build a house, like custom build a house. And uh, he said, look, I'm going to make this happen for you. And I go, I go, you don't understand. I'm not in the realm. This guy was building houses for, like, NFL stars. And, you know, like, I'm talking about one house he built was, like, I think it was 18,000 square feet. It had an indoor pool, outdoor pool, and a bowling alley in it. I mean, like, I'm like, this is not what I'm talking about here, guy. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. I can make this happen for you guys. And and he taught us about things like sweat equity, of things that we could do to like build on the house to do some different things. And he had some extra building supplies that he was going to donate. And he said, "Look, we're gonna, I'm gonna make this happen for you." And uh, by the end of it, we ended up building this house, which we still own to this day. And I just want to show you what God can do because I think I have a picture of it. That's it. Now. The only reason I put that up there is because I want to tell I want to testify of the power of the covenant of God. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive him. It, it, he he is like you think you can give and sacrifice he goes that's nothing. And I didn't do it for this and I believe it's a very unhealthy practice to say okay you know you do this and you get that. It's spirit-led. These are things that are between you and God. And I'm sharing something because I, I, not for you to do this because it won't work if you just copycat. Just like the brass lamp thing, it ain't going to work if you copycat it, okay? doesn't. That's not how the spirit works. So finally, not only connecting the covenant to us, but let's thirdly, now let's look at connecting to Christ. Connecting to Christ. 
there's a key verse here where the person who was closest to the redemption said this, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. The bottom line was this. It was like the, the, the deal was actually going through. If you, if you read the passage, the closest redeemer, we don't know his name, uh, was actually going to go through with the deal. He wanted the land. But when he pulled out the contract, figuratively speaking, he goes, you get this Moabitess named Ruth. And he goes, no, thank you. No, thank you. That's one real estate transaction that I don't want in the clause. And at that point, he said no. But you know what was amazing? Is that whereas the one who was the closest redeemer saw Ruth as the baggage in the deal. Boaz saw the fine print of Ruth as the treasure in the deal. The other guy wanted the land, but not the girl. Boaz said, I don't even care about the land. I want the girl. I want the girl. And the reason why this touches our hearts is because you and I have a lot of baggage in our lives too. There's a lot of people that can't take it. They can't take the baggage. Can't take the broken part of our lives. But our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, looks at your, your life and my life. He sees the good and he sees the baggage. He said, I'll, I'll buy them. I'll redeem them. I'll have you, 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 I'll have you. It doesn't matter how much baggage. I'll have you. I'll redeem you. I'll redeem you. I'll redeem you. And I'll redeem you. And I'll redeem you. And God came into the world through Jesus to pay the redemption price for anybody who would like to be redeemed. And it's beautiful. It's the greatest romance story that was ever written. Some of us will be married, some of us won't, but every one of us will be redeemed by the one, the one person that it really matters with, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what it says in 1 Peter, in the, flipping into the New Testament. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Our redemption, like Ruth, brings us into the covenants now of God's family. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, as far as Moabite, Moab, have been brought near uh, by the blood of Christ. And not only do we have a great ending of this story where Boaz redeemed Ruth and he married her. And it says in Ruth 4, 13 and 14, now Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. 
and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. And what's amazing about this is here's Ruth, who is like outside of the commonwealth of Israel, but because of her tenacity, because of her spirituality, because of her boldness, she put herself in a place of grace. That's our, our, our job. Our job isn't to do the redemption, but our job is to put ourselves in the place of grace. And because of that, her son's name was Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David, the greatest king of Israel. And then down through the lineage, it goes all the way down to Joseph, who was the father of Jesus. I mean, not the... He raised Jesus. <laughs> and so, what are we celebrating? At Christmas, we are celebrating redemption. We're celebrating the coming into the world of the great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Luke 2, 10 and 11 says this, and the angel said to the shepherds out in the field, Fear not, for behold, I'm bringing you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, a Redeemer, who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, approach Christmas and we wrap up this beautiful, beautiful love story, we thank you, God, that its words ring true today because they speak of an eternal truth, not a temporal one. And God, as we reflect this Christmas, I pray that we would, each and every one of us, sense that our Redeemer is coming after us, that our Redeemer loves us, that our Redeemer is buying us, that our Redeemer is, is, is looking into our lives, the good and the bad and all of it, and is saying, I love you, I redeem you. And God, I pray that if there's any blockages in our lives, God, that would make us feel unworthy of that redemption, that you would take it away and that we would even turn aside. And by faith, we would enter into all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.